0: Well, good morning. Hey, who remembers their first job? Who wants to yell out, like, tell us what their first job was? Cutting grass. grass. Babysitting? Newspaper route? What, Stephanie? What? Oh, a veterinary clinic assistant. Okay, that was just long to get out there. Good. Cool. Last one. Anybody else? McDonald's anybody uh, who is literally right now on their first job like who's young I saw Will walking around oh he just walked out he's walking uh, like I think he's he's lifeguarding I know there's some like new new um, like new first job first job experiences these days at Westside as well grocery stores and things like that one of my first jobs was um, at a b- flipping burgers in Carrefour Laval At a shopping center in Laval, a place called Burger Supreme. I I remember just dying for my break because I wanted to wash my face because I felt like there was an inch of oil on it because you, you just stand in front of the, just doing burgers and stuff like that. And sometimes you wonder, like, what's the point of this? There was some fun involved for sure, and it was great during busy seasons and meeting people at the mall. Um, but there was, there was like a, a silver lining on, like, how can I make this job purposeful? How can I serve people well? And I used to explore with different kinds of burgers. So, you know, we made club sandwiches with chicken, so I would kind of make a, a burger with chicken uh, on top and like add some pieces to it and just kind of see if people and people were just wanted to try some stuff so i had fun with it so so you know this kind of job that maybe felt like what am i doing here why do i have to keep washing my face every 30 minutes i there was some purpose came in that i got a chance to put a smile on people's faces and um it was fun it was fun of course there was other jobs after that but like When you think about your work or when you think about your life or you think about why you do what you do and it this is not just work related it's just the whole of life think about what you do what you make what people create how they lead how people teach how some organize how some compute how some program how uh, many parent or uh, clean or count or design or whatever we all work in some way or another right and the question today is is that at all connected to why and how God created you? And I don't just mean your specific task, because uh, we're not going to be talking today about finding your sweet spot in terms of, like, work or career. But in all that you do, is it, is it connected to why and how God created us? And, and I ask that question because we're in this series called Image Bearers. And we've discovered through Genesis chapter 1 that God has created us in his image, so far, we've discovered, one, we're created in the image and likeness of God. And we, dis- we discovered more about who we were when we discovered more about who God is. And we found that out in Genesis 1 and 2. We also discovered last week how we're created for relationship. And today, I want to go a little bit further and ask, well, what do image bearers do? What's the purpose of an image bearer? And we're not going to start in Genesis. We're going to jump over to a psalm, Psalm 8. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 8, and we're going to read um, a few verses, most of the psalm, not all of it, from verse 3 on to the end. And so let's, uh, let's read this together. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pause and pray for a moment. Father, we, uh, we invite you to speak to us, just stretch our hearts, our minds, our imagination to see um, why you have created us, how you have intricately made us and love us, even as we sang about that today. Um, God, hearing about some of our Kids Quest groups that had the merge today, I think probably assumed that, that some of our mentors and leaders are sick today, so we, we pray for them, I lift them up to you in prayer. Thank you for how they serve um, with all their hearts. But we pray for some who are sick today that they would become well. Um, And God, as we uh, continue and open up the scriptures, uh, we just invite you to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love this psalm. I mean, psalms are awesome because, you know, you can't necessarily just... Uh, intricately kind of dissect the psalm like you do some kind of teaching from the Apostle Paul. You're going to have to take it in in a way that, you know, allows for room for metaphor and beauty and po- poetry and things like that. And I love how Psalm 8 ties us into our theme, that you and I You and me are created in God's image. In God's image, we're 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 part of what God has been, what God did in creation. I love when we read this song, or psalm, or poem, or however you want to describe it. It says so much about your value as an image bearer says so much about what God thinks about you. I don't want you to miss that. Think about verse 3 as, as the, the author of this psalm kind of just expands our mind and heart. He says, you know, when I consider God's heaven, when I consider the works of his fingers, when I consider the moon and stars, when I consider, like, the design that God set in place, and when I consider his amazing creation, that in itself is outstanding all by itself, Right? It's outstanding that God has done that. Then it begs this question. The author says, man, God, you've done all this. Well, why do you care about us? Why do you care about humankind? What is mankind that you're mindful of him? In other words, man, God, the heavens are pretty awesome. The earth is extravagant. The mountains are beautiful. The sea is so vast. Why are you so caught up with us? Why do you care about us? All this other stuff is so amazing. What do you care about these humans for? Why do you think about them all the time? I'm probably thinking, thinking, like the mountains probably don't aggravate you. You know, the seas probably don't go against your will. Why do you care about us so much? And and the specifics of humanity's value described. They're a little lower than the angels, and crowned with glory and honor. Isn't that amazing? You turn to someone today and just think about it. Just look at them and think, you're just this far from an angel. Do it, for real. Just kind of look, look around. And like, maybe they don't look like that right now this morning. I get it, but be positive, okay? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I love that. I love the specifics here. This psalm is saying, wow, you're so awesome. Almost an angel. And it ties us into this climactic moment of day six of creation in Genesis chapter one and two. When God says about humanity, You are very, very good. You're very good. But then we're told about humanity's purpose. Verse six says this You made them rulers over the works of your hands, you put everything under their feet. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Isn't that amazing? The purpose of an image bearer is to rule. To rule what? The fact that to rule God's creation. Everything God created, God's giving us a hand in, in, in leading and ruling and organizing. The vision God has for you and me, check this out, is to actually bring order and loving rule of the created order. It's amazing. This is all for us Check out uh, Isaiah 55, verse 18. Matt read from that passage today, but not this verse. And, And I love this. I came across this in the summer, and it's just been in my mind since then. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. God didn't create this amazing earth to be empty. He created it to be inhabited. The earth was created for us. And we're created to inhabit it. And it begs the question. Well what is our purpose then here? And everyone asks this question, right? Like, even if you're in high school, you're asking this question, why Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? What's my contribution to my high school, to my surrounding, to my neighborhood, to my set of friends? When you're in college, you start asking, what is, you know, God, what have you made me for? What have you created me for? What kind of gifts do I have? How do I serve, um, you know, the people around me, the world around me? Lord, how do I serve you? How do I fulfill your will? When you're working your first job, when I was flipping burgers or later cutting grass or whatever, there's that, that question like, am what i doing here today, God? Is this part of my purpose? And it's not just like, am I meant to do this forever? But like, is, is this making a contribution to your world? Is this fulfilling a reason why you created me? As people get older, they often start wondering like, what's the rest of my life meant to be like? Like, God, I've lived 20, 30, 40, 50 years. What, what, how do you want me to fulfill your purpose in the next 20 or 30 years? As we jump back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we, we see how this ties in. And I want to read it together. We read this in the series already. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That word comes up. It came up in Psalm 8. It comes up right in the beginning of Genesis. This idea that God's image bearers have a purpose, have a mandate. It's to rule over The word in your version might be dominion. And here the author also includes the word subdue, which is to to lead or control or bring purpose. But there's two metaphors here just to think about in in this ancient text. One metaphor is like a royal metaphor. It's like a kingdom type of mentality. Like if God is king and he's created a kingdom, then it includes wisdom and construction and artistic organization. And there is this sense of rulership means to be like a king or to serve with Within the king's realm to bring order and organization and beauty around this idea of ruling is rooted in God's characteristic as king he it's part of who he is and he's created us in his likeness and as a king he has representatives that serve within his purposes but it's also a temple metaphor it's this idea that and a lot of scholars believe this that the world is like a temple that God has created the earth like a temple and he longs to fill the earth with his presence In ancient Near Eastern culture, uh, many cults or religious groups or tribes would have erected a temple and then wanted to build these little like sculpture gods to fit in the temple because they believed that these gods or these little, you know, um, idols would would kind of reflect the presence of their God. And they could maybe call on their God and things like that. It's interesting. People would come and they would worship these idols. It blows our mind when we read Genesis 1 when it says God created us in his image and placed us here. If you think about a temple, God's not saying create idols to look like me. God's saying, I've already created you to bear my image, and I've placed you in the temple to represent me. I love when Paul talks about uh, this later. He doesn't, doesn't like specifically refer to it, but later in his, in his letters, he says, whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it all for God's glory. I think he has this sense, God has made this temple. You live in the temple all, everything you do is meant to bring him glory. That's your purpose. That's part of what it means when we hear the words, you are to rule. We have to figure out, this is connected to worship. This is connected to fulfilling God's desires. And it gives us a sense of why, why we exist. And here's part of the why, and it's just two words. And it's going to be on the screen. It's res- responsible rule. Responsible rule, and I I did it this way for a reason because I want us to understand what, what, like, the basic idea of rule. Sometimes we're thinking, "Oh, that's awesome, God! I can walk into work tomorrow and I can rule the show because I'm your image bearer, so I'm going to be in control." Or, "Hey, my neighborhood—I think it should be this way, so I'm just going to like, you know, kind of just topple over everybody and just do what I want." Or, uh, "I, you know, I believe this should happen and this should happen, so now rulership looks like ultimate control." But I, I wanted to put that word "responsible" in there, and you'll see why. Because when I think about it, I just mentioned that like Will Weaver is uh, is lifeguarding. I did not ask him if I can mention this, but sorry, Will, if you're around. But like Will, he, he's lifeguarding, so he's he's bringing order to the pool. He's he's in a sense he's bringing responsible rule in that pool where people are swimming. That's part of what that means. When a teacher teaches a class, they bring responsible rule to that setting. When you go to work and you have a task before you, there's a sense of, of a responsible rule that you bring to that task to bring into fulfillment. Sometimes we say, you know, if, if I'm an engineer for like to, to build bridges, God, how can I do that to bring you glory? And an obvious answer is build a good bridge right? Like that's going to give God glory because if people fall off the bridge, that won't give God glory, right? So there's this responsible rule with whatever tasks we've been given and we get to share. Check this out. Two ideas. We get to share in God's rule and we get to steward God's rule. He says, I'm ruler already. I want you to share in what the world becomes. And then he says this, this is, this is my world. I've placed you in it. I want you to steward what I've given you. I want you to steward this responsibility. So to rule is to use your God-like capacity to create and to organize. Similarly like God did, right? A couple of weeks ago, I had those two panels on the screen. The first panel was day, day one to three. Where God creates form with light and water and day and night and land. And then day four to six, he, he fills that. So God forms something, and then he fills something, and we have this capacity in, in small and big ways. Andy Crouch, who wrote this book called Culture Making, when he asked the question, like, what's our purpose? He, I love his line. He says, we're called to make something of the world. We are called to make something of the world. We can create culture in small pockets, some of us in bigger pockets, Some of us in our work environments, we're called to make something of the world. So when God created us to make something of this place, this reflects his vision. Now here, we're tempted to do this, right? We read some of this stuff. We're like, that doesn't sound so spiritual. That doesn't sound like I'm sharing the gospel. That doesn't sound like I'm leading someone to Jesus. But our, our original mandate before sin ever comes into the picture is to make something beautiful of this world. And when we do that, we do point people to God because we point them to a creator who is loving and kind and artistic and purposeful. And so, creating is what you do as an image bearer. So, let me kind of flip the words responsible rule. I want to talk about creative rule. How do we rule? We rule creatively. That's partly who we are. I put a picture up here. My wife just recently, uh, this week, uh, put this together. You might be looking at it and saying, like, what is that? Like, I, if you can tell from there, these are bags and here are numbers. And, and can anybody see what it looks like? It's a calendar. Okay, so it's a calendar, and you're and, and it's huge. This is like life size kind of calendar. It's almost like as tall as I am. And you might be wondering why did she spend time doing that? But um, let me let me fill in the, the details a bit. So my in laws, uh, her parents aren't well these days. They're both in their eighties, and my father in law particularly always has many 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 doctors appointments. And sometimes it's hard for him and even the kids to just figure out when's the appointment, where's this sheet of paper, what happened. And so her and her sister decided we got to help bring some order to this, to this situation. So they, they created two of these like life-size calendars with envelopes, with the dates, with Velcro, kind of artistic. So home economics was my wife's best, ta- ta- you know, subject in school and, uh, and art. She was great at that. And so she's like, how can we do this? And they created this, these two months side by side to help my in-laws figure out when's my next appointment. And uh, then I saw, oh, that's cool. There's red on the side. And I realized, well, that's the weekend. Here's Sunday. And here's Saturday. And they're really only worrying about the five days in the week. And they can change this from month to month. Now, see this little ticket? Do you guys see what that is? You don't know what that is. But that is every kid's birthday. So they will put a, a little like uh, label when the month comes to remind my in-laws. Give us a call. Say happy birthday. But no. Just, just to help them. And when I saw that, I thought, this is part of how God has wired us. Now, not everybody's going to. Going to bring that kind of solution, right? You might bring it in another way. But God has wired us for creative rule. He's wired us to bring order into chaos. To be an image bearer is to bring creative rule to whatever situation, whatever circumstance, whatever job, whatever family, whatever neighborhood you're a part of. And sometimes it looks artistic, and sometimes it looks like software, and sometimes it looks like. An Excel sheet, and sometimes it looks like, you know, how do we create a nice environment for people? It looks like different things to different people. But as image bearers, we are called to rule creatively. Right away in the story of scriptures, Genesis chapter four, we read some pretty amazing things. Cain, even though he was told to leave the garden because he killed his brother Abel, he he goes out and he builds a city. I don't know about you, but has anybody here ever built a city? Like, think of Montreal, right? Think of, or, you know, even if it's a smaller city. The capacity in humankind, created in God's image, to build a city. Here, Genesis is just going on. Someone by the name of Jubal, he was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. This, this creative, artistic, musical ability found in humankind that comes out, their creativity. Um, again, the next, the next verse, this, what an awesome name, Tubal Cain, uh, forged, who forged all kinds of, of um, tools out of iron and metal, bronze and iron. Imagine that. And so we, we have these different people with different creative abilities. God says, go and rule over the earth. And I'm going to give you the capacity to do that. In our call to be image bearers is innate in us gifts and skills and capacities to bring order, to bring beauty, to rule by building and creating and designing and forming culture and developing civilization. They're making something of the world that God gave them. God says, I've placed you here. Make something of this place. You have the gifts to do that. They're reflecting God's image in God's earthly temple, artistically constructing and designing the world. That's your purpose. That's why you and I exist. Now, maybe you might be saying, Well, I've never, I don't feel like I've changed much of the world. And sometimes we think too big. I mean, sometimes we think too small, but sometimes we think too big because maybe we're not called to bring uh, leadership to a nation, but we have this pocket of people or society or our neighborhood where that can happen. And I think about even a parent who who nurtures their children towards the arts, towards learning, towards character. They are living out their image-bearer identity in a creative way to rule. When someone goes to the office and tackles a, a topic or a project and they're, they're able to, 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 you know, to, to, to fulfill uh, something in that moment with their skills and their abilities, that's, you can point to someone and say, you know why you're able to do that? You're an image bearer of God. There's something beautiful. Later this week, I encourage you to read uh, the story of Joseph in the scriptures. Joseph who's sold into slavery and then gets into Egypt and then you know gets thrown into prison and he has these the, the capacity to discern to lead to organize to structure to to cast vision all these amazing qualities that give us a glimpse of he's been created in the characteristics of God to bring beauty and order where there would be chaos where the, where the nation of Egypt would have gone in famine And his own people Israel would have been lost God gave him the ability Because he's an image bearer To live that out That's, So t- read that story There's a guy named Frank Laubach I don't know if you've ever heard about him He's known often for his, his kind of mystical deep relationship with God Practicing God's presence He's encouraged people to Take a second of every minute And think about God But, but he's been known for something else He was called the apostle to illiterates And he worked among Muslims in the Philippines and developed a program called Each One Teach One Literacy Program. This was way back in the early um, 20th century. Because he believed that he was so concerned about poverty and injustice and illiteracy and he considered them barriers to peace in the world. He was a believer. And he ended up teaching 60 million people through his programs how to read in their own language. Who gave him that capacity? Who gave him that ability? How did he rule creatively that way? We all have gifts. We all have skills. God's designed us in such beautiful ways to fit into his ultimate mandate for us to bring creative rule to wherever we are, whether it's a square mile or 10 square miles, whether it's a city or a household or a group of friends or an organization. And not for our own selfish ambition or for power or for evil, but for good. And so here's this, here's this other word. It's not just creative rule. It's responsible care. So we said responsible rule. And I want you to think about this. Responsible care. This is the filter in which we serve in how we do what we do. I want to just go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And when God places Adam in the garden, I love, I love just reading the verse out like this. Listen to this, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. And to do what? To work it and take care of it. He placed man in the garden. He puts his image in his temple. And he says, work this. Take care of this. Nurture this. Make something of it. But make something of it in a responsible, caring way way so here here's something to get from this the world is not ours we don't own the world we've been created for it and god created it for us we're stewards god placed us in this in this place like he placed god like he placed adam in the garden to take care of it that's responsible ruling is responsible caring When we make, when we construct, when we design, when we finance, we do this with care. Why do we do it with care? Why is care our filter? Because we reflect God. And we reflect the image he's created us in. And we do it for the good of others in the world around us. We do it for that purpose. So think about this for a second. When someone robs the world of clean water, that's not responsible ruling, right? When someone traffics a human body for profit, that's not responsible ruling. When someone hurts their neighbor for the sake of growth or selfish ambition, they're not living out their true purpose. That's not responsible ruling. Because sometimes we can take the fact that, hey, God's maybe in his image, and I'm called to rule over, you know? And then we, walk, we go down that slippery slope. If some of you guys caught the news the last week or two of the bank in the States called Wells Fargo, where um, they, they kind of scammed people into getting a whole bunch of extra accounts, and it pushed the stock up. And I, I saw a little clip of, of uh, the CEO being questioned in a courtroom. And I was thinking about this. Here's this guy who, over the course of a year or so, was forcing his employees who make $15 an hour to make sure that their customers like, like open up seven to eight or nine accounts. Eight was the, the, the number make sure they get eight accounts open because that would drive the stock price up. So here's this guy who in the course of that same year who forced employees who make $15 an hour to force people to open up more accounts. In that same year, he made $200 million. That's not, that's creative for sure, right? (laughs) Like, whoa, that's, I'll give you an A for creativity, but an F for care. God has not designed us or intended us to rule that way. See, just like sin damaged our relationship, sin corrupts that purpose we have. And some people go down that slippery slope and use their capacity not for good, for evil. Use their capacity not to fulfill God's vision, to fulfill a selfish vision. Sin has, has tainted that image. And, and it's not just for these kind of big ideas, right, what we read in the news. But let me just give you three ways that sin hurts us this way. Sin leads us to forget why we do what we do. When when sin entered the world, it 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 crushed that sense of why am I doing this? Do I see God's purpose? Do I see God's image? And no longer do we know why we work or why we create or why we design or why we parent. We no longer connect it to our Creator. We no longer connect it to His good and His purposes. So sin often leads us to forget why. Sin often leads us to ignore the boundaries. Sin often leads us towards selfish ambition that gets in the way or entitlement that leads us for our good but not other people's good. Often just kind of we have no boundaries when sin is up and working. And I think one area where all of us maybe struggle in this is a sense of overworking, where we can just work too much because our work now becomes our identity or our work now becomes our status. And we, we, we end up worshiping work rather than worshiping God through our work. Or or we, we find identity in our work rather than fueling our work with our identity. Or maybe we use our relationships instead of working to bless our relationships. And isn't it amazing, on day seven, God took a break from his work. He said, Th- I'm going to pause and celebrate this accomplishment. I'm going to pause and rest. And he said, in this temple, no one's going to be a slave. In this temple... It's not designed for you to be a slave. And that that happened before sin ever enters the world. And yet we read about Sabbath later on in Deuteronomy and later in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, right? So Sabbath was talked about before sin ever takes place as an ideal. And we're reminded of it. It's the only command that happens before and after sin. Think about it. Because God modeled rest for us. And Sabbath puts our work in perspective, and so, when we feel this, this amazing push and drive to create, to organize, to design, to parent, to lead, because we're called to, to, to this creative rule, we got to step back and say, wait a second, what's the responsible care here? How do I do this within God's boundaries? And then we got to look and say, is there any part of me tainted by sin that is either one, forgetting, like, leading me to forget why, two, just to- totally not, just ignoring the boundaries? Three, maybe allowing that work to just give me my own um, image or my own purpose or my own identity. And so this week, when you work, when you parent, when you serve, when you do something at home, when you clean your house, when you take your kids to sports, I want you to think about this. Your original mandate, my original mandate, is to make something of this world. And God's given you gifts to do that in the way he's created you for to do it creatively, but to do it with care. I want to close with this story. I was reading a, an article. A guy by the name of David Brooks. He's, um, he's a writer for the New York Times. But he, he, they, they ended up publishing one of his speeches that he gave at Penn State University at a graduation ceremony in McLean's Magazine. And I came across it this week. And, and he, he writes this, as, as, or he's, he's, he's saying this to the students that day. He talks about so many things, but here's one piece of it. He says, you know, the things you commit yourself to should satisfy your yearning for righteousness. It's it's interesting he uses that word, righteousness. We all long for a lot of things. We like affirmation status, maybe a little money, fun, and even sex. But though we don't talk about it as much and don't even have a word for it, we we are also all born with a spiritual hunger to lead a meaning or a life of meaning. Religious or not, we all hunger for moral fullness, for purpose, and inner joy. We don't get it, or if we don't get it, we end up dry, unsatisfied, twisted, and self-loathing. Saying this at Penn State University. It's published in McLean's. And then he, he compares that inner longing to this reclusive leopard. He says, imagine there's this leopard that lives in the forest and only comes out once in a while. It comes out when it recognizes you're leading a purposeful life. So sometimes you see it in the distance. Sometimes it comes and celebrates when you're really living your life on purpose. Sometimes, but often it's just standing away. And he'll say, like, when you're on Facebook or consuming something uh, or, you know, really not really pursuing maybe a selfish ambition, the leopard is often in the forest, unseen, because he's not fed by that. But he says, imagine that leopard is like the inner longing you have. Shows up once in a while. But then he says this, and then there are moments, inevitable in every life, but maybe more toward middle or old age, when the leopard comes out of the hills and he just sits there in the middle of your doorframe. And he stares at you inescapably, eye to eye, face to face, implacable and unmoving. He demands your justification. What is your purpose? What is your mission? For what did you come? And there are no excuses at that moment. And everybody has to throw off the mask. And I wonder how often in life we can get Caught up in the detours or the slippery slope that doesn't really fulfill the inner longing that God has created in us for meaning and purpose that only fits in within His mandate for us. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close in a word of prayer this morning. And I was thinking of the words from one of the worship songs. glorious and as we we come just to the end here and I invite you just to pause for a moment and what i don't want in this moment is for us to feel like oh man is this like god do you want me to change career god do you want me to change neighborhoods oh lord you know like do i gotta jump into something else not this franticness but but this sense of oh god you have this original mandate for me you've just to look at your life, say, Lord, what have you already given me? You've placed me here in this garden. You've placed me here in this neighborhood. You've placed me here in this city. You've placed me here in this church. You've placed me here in my workplace among these colleagues. These are my friends. These are my family. God, you've placed me here. And you have said to me to rule responsibly, to use my gifts, to, to, to contribute to the good of others around me. And that somehow when I do that. When we do that. We point people. To God's intended purpose for their life. Even for the created order itself. When we rule responsibly. With care. With creativity. Think about the things in your life right now. And yet the gifts and opportunities and. Skills that God has already given you. Your personality trait. God says you can use these to fulfill the original mandate. How would work be different tomorrow? How would your relationships be different tomorrow? How would how you view your neighborhood be different tomorrow? Father, I can imagine that um, seeing your vision for our lives can both be inspiring, but also in some ways it can stare at us in the face and confront us. Asking us if we are using the capacity and characteristics and the likeness of you that you've created us in. To fulfill this mandate. To bring order and chaos. To bring creativity where it's lacking. To bring beauty where there's no sign of it. To bring relationship and isolation. God, may we see that even in the smallest pocket of humanity that we dwell in. That there is opportunity for us to live out this mandate you have created us as your image bearers you've placed us in your temple on this earth to bring you glory Um, god would you give us discernment and wisdom with everything at our disposal including the way you've wired us to fulfill that god and lord we thank you that that you remind us that it's not good to allow even our work or our roles or our responsibilities um to drain us, to create our identities. But Lord, that we can rest in you. We can rest in you. You give us the opportunity to rest in our relationship with you, to rest in our worship of you. So we we end this morning telling you we love you, we worship you. Um, And we thank you um, for placing us here for a purpose.